Welcome everyone to another episode of Hard Work Beats Talent, where we aim to draw upon the insights of our inner circle in order to help our listeners make more informed decisions about their career and life through the wisdom and mistakes made by us and our guests. I'm Alex, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Nikki. How's it going? Very well, man. Very well. Good, good, good. So on today's episode, we are very, very excited to be joined by a good friend and member of our inner circle, Kenzo. Hi, Kenzo. Hello, guys. How are you? So starting from the top, do you want to give us a brief elevator pitch on who you are, what you do and all, all that good stuff? Yeah, sure. So um, I I guess I met Nikki over over a decade ago now, it would have been. Um, right now, I'm a legal director for a grocery delivery startup. Um, so I started as a, as a lawyer, studied law at university, um, did my training contract and law school, uh, Law schools at Kaplan in London. Um, my training contract was at Bird and Bird. Um, I had a year as a paralegal in the corporate department at Travis Smith as well. Um, and then, yeah, trained, qualified at Bird and Bird. Moved on to Deliveroo from there. Joined their legal team um, just before Series F, which is the crazy old days. Um, and yeah, from there went to um, an investment fund called Entrepreneur First. That kind of uh, I'll explain a bit more later, but it's a a talent investor um, and what that means is you know pre-idea and pre-business they invite exceptional individuals onto their program um, they form teams build businesses and then they decide which ones they want to invest in um, so pretty cool for a lawyer to be involved in that and then I went back into food and grocery delivery I was a legal director at Wheezy and now I'm legal director at the modern milkman nice so, yeah nice and do you want to mention Fawzi as well in that pitch absolutely yeah no yeah. i should we'll get into the details yeah. as well so yeah so i also have a uh, side hustle uh, called 40 it's all about um i guess the destruction of echo chambers and allowing people to engage in conversations that you know they have opinions on but don't necessarily always get a chance to discuss and yeah something that i i hold dear and um yeah something that has sustained a, a really exciting business that's uh, hopefully going places Love to hear it now. That sounds really awesome. So I'll kick off by um, just telling a very quick anecdote. Um, as Kenzo mentioned, we met, I think it was like 2018. Um, it must have been around 2018, 2019. 2000. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Heard it. It was 2008. 2008. Summer That's what I was thinking. 2008. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm yeah. well behind. Um, and I worked at Evan Cycles Bike yeah. Shop. Uh, and Kenzo got a summer job yeah. there, part time. First job, um, first job, first job. He was wet behind the ears, yeah. <laughs> some might say. Um, but that's how we met. Um, we got on really well. Mm. And then over, yeah, over the last God, yeah, whatever it's fourteen years now, um, we've kind of, you know, caught up. And mm. and um, more recently, like we we got back in touch, and um, we were like how have we not done this more? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was actually mad when, when we went for brunch and I was like, I walked in and you're like this six foot something like 30 year old man now. And I was like, okay, like yeah. my memory of you didn't sync up with um, with with what, you know, who you are now and what yeah. I remembered. But anyway, I digress. So um, in your elevator pitch, you kind of um, explained and set out the things you got going on. You've got a lot on your plate um, and it's very varied. So you're a solicitor, 
um, and you have a, a side hustle called 40 as well. Um, so let's start with the, uh, the legal side uh, and, and, and dive a little bit deeper into what you do. So um, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on, on like what um, discipline of law you work in now? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, let's start with that. Yeah, so it's, it's um, an interesting question because um, as a legal director, I am responsible for the legal function in the business. So um, prior to that, when I was kind of senior legal counsel, it was sort of semi-focused. Um, so I was working primarily in corporate venture capital, which is kind of where I trained and qualified, but um, across some sort of commercial contracts as well and kind of general commercial and need that the business had. Now it's transitioned more into kind of strategic legal advice, um, advising the business more on things like market expansion into new territories um, and also the bread and butter things that the business needs. So fundraising rounds and commercial contracts and um, really thinking about ways that, you know, a, a, a business can be empowered to go out and do the, mm -hmm. the kind of best analogy that I've heard um, to describe an in-house legal team is it's kind of uh, and a lot of in-house functions actually is, is it's kind of like the operating system upon which the business can go and you know really excel yeah um so it's a bit of a different dynamic different role but i enjoy it because it's varied enough and it's kind of commercial enough that i can lean into um a different part of my life that's you know uh, i guess more focused on business and just uh being involved in turning nothing into something yeah and i guess through that you learn a lot about capital how to get funding um Correct, all the, yeah. and but yeah i mean obviously the commercial commercial side and legal yeah. side are, are play play massively into that yeah and no, uh, really interesting to hear so like the listeners this is the first time i'm meeting and hearing from kenzo and and what you describe sounds extremely varied and, and interesting but for the benefit of both me and and the listeners it'd be quite helpful to go back to how you got into the legal sector to begin with and, and why your route ended up going where it's gone. Um, I think it would just be helpful for them to know, say from university to where you are now, what, what that looked like. Sure, so um, it's a, it was an interesting route and an interesting story. Um, so uh, probably prior to universities, the, the right place to start. So I did the IB, the International Baccalaureate. So uh, we did six subjects as opposed to, you know, three or four that you do at A-levels. And the subjects that I majored in were English, history and philosophy. Now, those are all, I guess, essay writing subjects. And, you know, my favorite was philosophy. I kind of loved an early introduction to critical thinking, but like with a purpose. So mm. I, I did that. Um, when it came around to sorry, there's so many parallels. Philosophy <laughs> was like my favorite A level. And, sorry, continue, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just hearing. It's almost like listening to myself. Here. <laughs> carry on. But when it came around to kind of deciding university courses, um, I I thought that it would make the most sense to do something that was vocational, but drew on the kind of skills that I'd learned as opposed to the discipline that I'd learned. So that's why I decided to do law. Um, at university um, and yeah query whether that was the right decision but um, you know there's an argument to suggest that I perhaps would have enjoyed other things because I did do some other modules at university so I did a, a few business modules and I did some Spanish as well so there was a, there was a bit so so that that kind of um, uh, the, the querying into why you went into law is it because you had things that you were maybe more interested in at the time or 
now you're realizing you you have other interests as opposed to being in like well I, I think or... good question and, and the answer to that is um there are a lot of people who have been able to have really successful legal careers without having studied law so yeah. um uh, i think the query is whether university is supposed to be a I guess a propeller to your career mm. or for you to hone your ability to learn in an academic sense right yeah. so th those are the two sides of the coin yeah. and actually the the further away i get from university you know if i was advising a 16 17 year old now i'd probably say go and do something that you love or that you're really interested in because that's easier to do really well in yeah. as opposed to something that you think is going to uh, i guess give you a, a good career yeah i've got to ask a question if you were to make that same decision today what would you do? What subject would mm. Probably sort of... Would you go to university? I, would, I, I probably would go to you university. Would, okay. Because the beer is cheap. Um, <laughs> and, um, Not so much the but, fees though. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We, I think I was one of the last years that was the three grand. The three grand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas now it's like... It's a joke. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about this with some friends from uni the other day and it was kind of like uh, the contact hours that you had at Exeter University for English was something like two hours a week mad so if they're paying nine grand for that we were like honestly you could resurrect shakespeare he wouldn't charge you that much <laughs> <laughs> like, they just wouldn't charge yeah. you that much yeah, it's yeah, like ridiculous yeah. so yeah i probably if i was to go back now i'd probably do something like um business business economics that sort of thing um yeah nice so going back to um your your sort of your timeline um you enjoyed some other subjects mm -hmm. um and where were you going from there? Yeah, so um, I got involved in um, a fair amount of other stuff at university as well. So I was kind of club president for the football club in my third year. And that is running a mini business. So things like setting <laughs> yeah. membership fees yeah. and going out into the, the the town and getting negotiating discounts for the football club, that sort of thing. Um, so I spent the summer going into third year doing a lot of that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and what I did was propose to the university um, that all of the, I guess, blank and dormant space around your student login page could be monetized. Sorry. Um, so I kind of, because I'd gone and got lots of discounts for the university football club, I sort of proposed to uni, you know, you can put these discounts here and there's a huge amount of traffic, especially around exam time, you could yeah. leverage that. And they thought, this is a great idea. Um, and they said, we're going to use it internally for like the campus shop library and that sort of stuff and they did that um and then there was a business in london called meet the real me that was looking at alternative ad spaces at the time so i got in contact with them and said hey look this is what i've been doing and they offered me a job so that was hustling since day that was my first job out of university yeah yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, they were an interesting business like an <laughs> they were it was it was bad <laughs> so so what you actually went to work for them yeah okay is it that's a funny old story because what they were doing <laughs> at the time and bear in mind this is a time i'm going to say this first and then finish the rest of the the story yeah this was around the time when skype was a thing okay right so they were effectively getting photo me booths you know where yeah you, yeah 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 putting them on campus <laughs> and then allowing people to take kind of like Accenture interviews in them. And I was kind of That's like, hilarious. Skype's a thing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't need to, to do this. Um, and they were kind of like underpinned by like a recruitment business that I wasn't involved in. So okay. my job was business development. Right. 
So um, what I was tasked with doing was, I guess, looking at ways that they can monetize this really nascent and quite terrible technology. Um, <laughs> so I was kind of like trying to speak to supermarkets to say sort of like, could you um, do mass interviews in store and stuff like that and just on the fly. So had a very- What, what was like their, you know, what was their business model around who this was for? Well, is it like a, some sort of marketing or was it purely for this uh, recruitment? Dude, company? yeah, that, they, 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 they thought was that enough companies would pay them money to be on campus. And right. Yeah, it's not a problem that I thought like massively existed, but <laughs> it was a really, really good, you know, introduction into business and yeah, yeah. the things that they were thinking about and um all the while that i was there um i was applying for training contracts and um for anybody i guess who's listening who's a lawyer i made a massive mistake with applying for training contracts in that i was sending the same application to every law firm <laughs> so yeah. probably had about two or three cycles of doing that um and then i had a really interesting conversation with some lawyers that i bumped into at a pub that I work for. Um, and what they explained was um, it's a much more fruitful enterprise to think about um, something that you really enjoy and uh, where there may be synergies between what you enjoy and what the law firm mm -hmm. does, their sector focus. And when I did that and thought, right, I enjoy this, I enjoy that, I enjoy that. When it got to interview, much more successful in being able to, uh, I guess, translate that excitement yeah. because it was already things that I enjoyed. Yeah. There, yeah, there's so many gems, which I just want to make sure we're capturing here. So the first one that springs to mind is the fact that you didn't find it was too early to, to add value whilst at, being at university. And that actually led to a, an opportunity. And one thing I would say to anyone listening that might be at university, and I know I had a lot of free time, which I look back on and think, oh, I maybe could have done a lot more with that. Mm. It's kind of never too early to try things. And what's the worst that can happen? Um, you got a job out of it. And although that job wasn't, like where you are are now it was probably a great introduction to the the real working world the second thing was despite the setbacks with the training contract applications actually taking on board advice like mm. uh, we've discussed it before on the pod the fact that yeah. you get given a lot of advice for free and a lot of it's not great but at some point you have to make a decision as to what makes sense and, and yep. go with it. But the fact that you can draw upon it and recognize the value that you were able to extract from that conversation, I think is fantastic. And, and people should like kind of keep an eager ear to people that might be able to help them take that next step in their career. It's yeah. Especially if you don't have kind of like an infrastructure of role models that have already done, you know, what you're trying to do. Um, gems like that, I got lucky. But, you know, speaking to people and finding out kind of what am I doing wrong? you know for me was valuable and i think it probably is still true and but that that speaks really um highly <clears throat> i think of your character and, and true to like you know your ethic as well um i think uh, i think it's quite common for people to kind of um you know not want to take advice from people that have made similar mistakes or mm -hmm. have you know made uh, had certain learning experiences um and want to help you avoid making those same mistakes um so being able to listen um and also you know you have to be a, a filter you have to apply a filter to what's relevant what's not relevant um but don't be afraid to listen to someone else who um may have more knowledge and experience than than you know than oneself and, and just on that my my dad used to always say to me that 
clever people learn from their own mistakes, whereas wise people learn from the mistakes of others. And mm. yeah, by the sounds of it, you clearly did that um, in this context and have yeah, borne the fruit of it. So fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Actually, like, I think. Um, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, no, no. I was, I was only going to say um, I, 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 I don't sort of like give myself too much credit for that because it was kind of like incidental and I got lucky and but I think that if anything can be taken from it is kind of but you see you you still you were in a situation where you recognized there was like a problem statement that needed resolving mm -hmm. um, and you asked the, the right questions to the right people mm. um, in the hope and search of the you know the, the, the solution yeah um, which I think you have to be a quite a conscious person yeah. to be in that frame of mind, and that's that's the that's the that's the lesson. Yeah. When I when I say luck, I mean kind of you know, I was working in a pub. Yeah. Two drunk bird and bird lawyers came in <laughs> and I had a great chat with them. Yeah, yeah, and they told me that you know apply like this rather than like this, you'll yeah. probably be more successful. And I just want to just draw on that point that you made around um, uh, picking something that you enjoy, right? Um, even if it's not directly like, look, three of us, we like playing football, right? Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily going to be professional footballers, <laughs> right? But if you can pick something that um, within your job or your career, um, you can utilize your passion, then you're actually um, stimulating that, that excitement mm -hmm. factor within you and the passion as well. And when you can bring that to the table in what, whatever it is you're doing, um, you're definitely going to see the fruits from it because you'll just enjoy your job more, you know, if nothing else. Um, and, and one thing on that, yeah. the fruits aren't necessarily merely financial. And, and exactly. I, I recognize that it's easy for us to say that now, 10 years post university, where maybe we're a bit more established, but it will get to a point with work if you're only doing it for financial purposes that it's unfulfilling. Whereas, yeah. like you said, if you're pursuing your passion, the, the kind of return will be something. Beyond, beyond financial precisely yeah, ex exactly um so so yeah and i actually remember having a conversation with you about this at a pub in in around where we're from um and it was that kind of you know a particular area that you're interested in sports and things that mm. the law firm you know um ha had an affiliation with um that kind of I remember you specifically mentioning that. So, you know, you talking about it like years on, mm -hmm. it was clearly quite a, an important part of why you applied for the firm. Yeah, the yeah, absolutely. And it turned out when I got there, that area of <laughs> <laughs> but it is what it is. It is what it, we're learning, yeah. we're learning. Yeah, so so going going back to your, your journey, so you, you finished uni, um, you went in and had this, you know, amazing <laughs> opportunity where, yeah. that, you know, obviously you took a lot away, um, took a lot away from. Um, what was next? Like, how did you lead up to yeah, doing so, your LPC um, or, or, or getting the training contracts? So that summer I had um, two vacation schemes, um, one at Burn and Bird and one at Pens and Masons. Um, I enjoyed the one at Burn and Bird a lot more. Okay. Um, and to be honest, I had no choice because I only got one offer. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I took the Bird and Bird one, um, was unsuccessful at Pins and Masons. And at that point, it was two years before you um, did you started your training contract and right. one year before you were sent on your LPC. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, did you do an LLB at uni? I did, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And just for the benefit of some of our listeners, we've spoken about this before, yeah. but 
uh, LLB law degree, which allows you to do one more year, which is your legal practice course before doing two years training, um, which you do at an, a law firm, and then you qualify after that. Um, so that's what we're speaking through here, yeah. just to, for yeah. the benefit of the non-lawyers. And um, yeah, so I did uh, the the vacation scheme, and then I had a year to kill. Yeah. And uh, I had a, f a friend who was working at Travis Smith, who's a trainee at the time. No, actually, he was a paralegal at the time. Um, and he said that they were looking for a new paralegal. So I went to work there in their corporate finance group for a year. And to be honest, that is where I kind of, um, I will stop short of say fell in love, but that's probably where- <laughs> You had a really strong romantic connection, connection with, <laughs> with, with corporate law. Ooh, um, okay. Yeah, that it, it was just kind of my first introduction to actually legal doing, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so someone once said to me actually on a vacation scheme that, Law is a, I'll use the word pain to study, but a pleasure to practice. Um, and it sounds like you got to see that. Yeah, you. absolutely. I would say it's, I mean, so far you've done, you've both done the LPC, so it's so far removed from, you know, the theory of it. And with uh, corporate law, it was kind of conceptually, um, for me, okay to, to understand. Um, and it made sense. Deals would arrive at your desk and be done in two weeks. Um, I quite liked that pace of change, that turnover, mm. and the way that it was structured as well. So you, you know, you'd follow the same pattern um, for each deal, especially as a paralegal. There was <laughs> a limited amount that I could actually do. So yeah. mm. just um, learning how to do that really well um, was a, a really good foundation for you know what turned into a career in in corporate law and just yeah. trying to hone um, and applying the, the principles of hard work. Because I remember when you were there. Um, and you excelled quite a bit, didn't you? You kind of moved through the ranks in that paralegal role as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, no, no, it's super impressive, man. And where did you go? So you did your training contract. Um, how did you find that experience at Bird and Bird? So um, I, I loved my training contract. Um, I probably, um, you know, I made some mistakes. I, you know, loved some departments, didn't like other departments so much. So I started in the sports group and um, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting group because they are at the pinnacle of the profession. So um, they were all far brighter than me. Like that was my first mistake. Um, <laughs> so they, they're all incredibly uh, intelligent and incredibly good at what they do. So I can imagine, you know, it's quite hard to uh, give a trainee something that they can tangibly do. And I was used to doing coming from Travis Smith just kind of here's a discrete piece of work yeah go and do it and do it really well and then you'll get another similar and then you become better yeah whereas um I guess you know there was two parts of the department the the commercial sports part which was fun I guess or more fun and then there was the sports litigation part and the sports litigation part as a trainee was um a lot to do with uh, research and that sort of you know legal focus for me that's not particularly what I enjoy yeah. Um, so th that, you know, I arrived in the department thinking this is going to be amazing. I'm basically going to be sat next to Arsene Wenger every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, For your sins. Sort of like, yeah. <laughs> I think we should be playing three, five, yeah. two. Today. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it was like, I guess you, you like when you hear of being a sports lawyer, yeah. Um, I think you have this like romantic idea of 100%. I'm going to be on deadline day, closing deals, like signing players. Yeah you know, all that kind of stuff. But is, is it not quite like that? No, you're not because you're not a football agent. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it was it was good, though, because the first six months um, 
I spent three months at Benamud and then three months at the FA. Oh, so nice. uh, in, in their legal team. And that was really, really interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, that was a, a really interesting experience to go to comment there. So. so despite not necessarily enjoying your first seat that much, you still looked into doing the, the sports secondment then was because presumably that was with the same department right yeah so it, that, that seat is mandatory so you oh, right. always split um three months uh at the firm and three months at the fa so nice. uh, for me as a huge football fan it was kind of a no-brainer that's, that's, that's what deal. i wanted yeah, to do yeah, and yeah. the firm knew that yeah they, they knew that i was really into football so from the moment that i accepted my training contract i played for the football team um for two years before i stepped foot in, in, in the building really yeah so. i don't think in the London Legal League, right? Um, we just played in a power league. Oh, okay, fair. Yeah. No, like we used to play 11 aside, but I was thinking, like, I don't remember playing Bird and Bird, but that, that would be why. We, we yeah. did have an, a, a pretty handy 11 aside um, team. We used to kind of have friendlies against other law firms um, every now and then. But um, Well, we yeah. won the competitive cup, so you Did know. you? <laughs> <laughs> so who wants to slap there yeah. <clears throat> on the table first? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. What's the opposite of a humble break? <laughs> So no, we digress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? Um, so, for people listening, they're thinking, oh, "Okay, I want to, I want to, or I already have a training contract." Um, you talked about some of the day-to-day um, -day stuff. So there was mm -hmm. research, um, you know, in the paralegal side as well. It was quite transactional and re um, repeatable work. Yeah. Um, so, kind of, if we, if you were to do like a snapshot of your two years in private practice, what would you say, you know, some of the key day-to-day -day tasks that you would do um, just to help our listeners and viewers understand what it is that you would kind of be doing in in, in a training contract? And I, I appreciate it varies from firm to firm. Everyone has very different sure. experiences, but it'd be sure. good to get your, your take. And when answering that, if you could just draw out some of the key skills that you think were, yeah. were useful, that'd be helpful too. Yeah, sure. Um, I think kind of, uh, to, to, to answer the question properly, I'll split it into departmental work. So if I'm in a corporate seat as a junior lawyer or a trainee, I may be helping on um, a venture capital transaction. So investors want to invest in, let's say, City Mapper. Mm -hmm. um, they're raising a private financing round. So that transaction typically looks like an investment agreement where the investors will sort of say, "Here's here are the terms upon which we're going to put money into the business. And then that you'll have another document, which is the company's articles of association, which will effectively say, um, here's how the company is going to be governed once we've put your money into um, the company. Mm -hmm. um, and then in order to actually enter into the investment and complete it, you have a, a whole bunch of ancillary documents. Um, and what that means is, you know, you have a set of board minutes that essentially say, okay, um, we're taking on this investment, is this okay? Yeah, um, and the company of, approves it. Correct, yeah. yeah, you have a set of shareholders resolutions that sort of says, existing shareholders, is it okay if we get some new shareholders in? Yeah, um, so you're involved in drafting those documents. Yeah, so yeah. you're involved um, heavily in kind of being a support function to the leading lawyers on the transaction yep. to help them get all of that in place. You may also be involved in due diligence as well. Yep. Um, so that's, you know, if uh, a business was a car, due diligence is lifting the bonnet up and looking under um, the hood 
yeah. to see what's actually helping it run yeah. and whether, you know... Do you who, have a ticking timing belt or something? Correct. So we'll whether, 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 you know, how the business has been represented actually marries to um, how what it actually is. Yeah. So that's part of the due diligence exercise. So you may be involved in that. And the key skills that you um, need for both um, as a junior lawyer, uh, you know, attention to detail is really important. I wasn't that great at that. I, you know, that was a real kind of, I guess, development point for me in the earlier days. I'm far more, I'm way more conceptual than, you know, to sit, concentrate and read for, uh, you know, eight hours mm. and not miss a full stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. So yeah. there's there are lawyers that are excellent at that. There are lawyers that are less good at that. I'd probably put myself in, in that bucket. But that's a key skill that you're going to need. Um, you're also going to need an exceptional amount of organization because you may be working on three, four, five deals at the same time to to know where things are, to um, have answers before people ask questions. Mm. Um, that sounds yeah, like an intangible piece of advice, but, but you know, to, I guess, bring it to life a bit. Um, if you are working on a set of ancillary documents and um, a partner asks you, where you are on that, you should already kind of have you an need answer. To know. Yeah, that's yeah. that's your bit. That's your bit that you're supposed to be um, looking for. So um, attention to detail, uh, a high level of organization. And then I think there are a bunch of soft skills that probably don't get talked about enough. So um, an enthusiasm, at a general level enthusiasm um, for what you do, uh, a level of humility um, because you are still learning, uh, recognizing that you, know, you don't know everything, yeah. um, I think is a skill that can be developed um just very briefly yeah. on that i think um being in such a like highly competitive environment mm -hmm. that law firms can be um it's important to remember that point that a lot of people will you know they want to sort of talk themselves up or mm. talk about how much they know and what deal they worked on last and how great they were but you know stay true to to where you are and and um you know sort of understanding maybe your uh, pain points and, mm. and working on improving them. Yeah, nobody dislikes a humble learner, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, I've got a younger brother and that's what I'm kind of always saying to him, just enjoy the learning process. You, mm. You're a, you know, a junior professional. You can afford to make mistakes. Nobody's going to look at you and go, what? Mm. Yeah. Everyone's going to be kind of like, yeah, yeah. oh, that's fairly normal. Here's the how you growth is up in the, again. is in the mistakes, right? right? Yeah. Um, I think uh, Jocko Willick says, um, stay humble or be humbled. Mm. <laughs> I think yeah, it's as simple that. as that. That is, yeah, five words to say what I kind of said in like 79,000. <laughs> um, yeah. Typical lawyer counting yeah. words as yeah. well. <laughs> so, so moving on to your in-house experience and um, yeah, how you've got to where you are today. You mm. mentioned Deliveroo. It'd just be interesting yeah. to hear how you made the decision to leave private practice because from what I understand, the two are quite different. And um, yeah, just bringing that to light a bit. Yeah, so really kind of like whistle-stop tour of how this happened. So I was working in the corporate venture capital group at Bird and & Bird. And incidentally, we had just, we'd worked on a number of food tech-related transactions. So we did an accelerator program for Just Eat where they invested in um, a bunch of startups, five per cohort. Um, and I was working for a company or advising a company called Spoon Guru as well. Um, and uh, a number of the companies that came out of the Just Eat program. So um, one of my colleagues had just accepted a job, at, I think at maybe um, 
Bumble it was at the time, and the delivery job came across her desk and she told me about it and I got in contact with the recruiter and said, this would be really interesting. I've got some relevant experience. Um, and then I interviewed there. Um, initially when I went in for the interview and just saw the buzz of the place, I was just sold from yeah. that. Um, and I went in as a commercial lawyer, which is interesting. I applied for a corporate job and um, it went to somebody who was more senior than me, who's right. a really good friend and now. And they said, well, there is a commercial role as well. And I thought, just get in. Yeah, 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 for um, sure. Just get in and I'm sure you can pick it up. I'm sure you can learn. And then after six months, I moved into the corporate team mm. there. And yeah, that, that's how that story came about. And and how would you say the two differ then in-house to, to private practice? Well, I think f in very basic terms, um, you're advising two different types of people businesses so one you're advising multiple businesses as an external partner so you're not as close to the um, business risk as you know you might otherwise be when you're in-house what you're really advising on is um, commercial risk so you're saying we want to achieve this and um, how do we do this sometimes the answer might be you can't do this or you can do this but you have to accept X amount of risk if you're mm. going to do this so the difference is um, really quickly learning uh, and having an appreciation for kind of like the commercial risk profile in your business um, and kind of going going from there. Yeah, and that and, uh, to, in order to be able to do that, you need to spend some time in developing your own commercial awareness, I think, for, for sure. people listening. Um, so I think you already, I think you already had a, a quite natural instinct for commercial um, awareness you know, from your university days, because you were mm. working with a website and trying to fill ads and, you know, and then in, in your first job out of uni, um, you know, it was it was clearly there. Um, and I, I just want to point out that what it sounds to me like is you had an incredible um, instinct to be able to um, adapt. Um, and I think, I think that's just such a like crucial skill is in anything you do, but, you know, being able to adapt and you know, move from role to role, especially if you if you are in a private practice, generally you will qualify into um, a particular area of law. Um, and you may find that you're interested in it, but you may not want to sit in that seat for like 30 years until you make a partner or something. Um, and if you do want to move on and you want to move into um, in an in-house legal role and support a business in whatever it is, corporate, mm -hmm. a commercial, um, you know, construction, whatever it might be, is that you need to have the ability to be able to adapt, um, grow, and learn um, is is really important. Yeah, one. Of, you you uh, clearly had that in abundance because you know you move through different different things. The the general counsel at Deliveroo, a lady called Chantal Zember, a good friend of mine, and you know, I think probably the the best bit of advice that she uh, gave me whilst I was at Deliveroo is that, you know. Um, even if you're a very disciplined uh, lawyer and you're focused on one area, you can probably learn to do something else. It depends how much you kind of want to learn yeah. and how willing you are to kind of go, I'll figure this out. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's that entrepreneurial spirit that allows companies that deliver to exist in the first place, right? So yeah. um, I guess your legal team has to mirror that in some respect and just kind For of sure. carry the burden even when you don't have all of the expertise. Well, I think like working in in-house and whatever, because you have to be quite, you have to be a bit of a generalist. You have mm. to dabble in 
bits and bobs of different areas of law. Um, but ultimately, because I work in-house, uh, just for the benefit of the listeners, if you didn't, didn't listen to episodes one and two, please do. Um, you know, we're essentially executors. And I'm not mm. saying that private practice lawyers aren't, but um, we, ha- we, we have to really clearly understand the business um, that we work in and their risk profile and the way people work, the way you deliver the products or services that, that you're delivering. Mm. Um, and you know, it's not, you're not just learning law, you're not just practicing law, you have to, you know, talk some tax language, some finance language, some sales language, um, because it will help you build relationships. But like, you have to be in tune with with all the different parts of the business. I'll give you a a real life today example of exactly that. So um, I work for a company called The Modern Milkman. And what we do is, a subscription-based drop service for all your essentials, so your milk, eggs, bread, um, a couple of times a week. And we have hubs and warehouses where we deliver from. Um, We own the leases to those hubs and warehouses. And um, we engage third-party delivery service providers to actually deliver um, for us. Today, one of those delivery service providers asks whether they can put a vending machine in one of the hubs. Mm -hmm. Um, And seems like a pretty binary thing, right? You either say yes or no. But actually the question to us was, can I put a vending machine in a hub? But our answer was, yes, you can, provided that there's nothing prohibiting that from a fixtures and fittings perspective (laughs) in the lease. There are no health and safety or allergens issues. You know, if someone's allergic to peanuts, Mm. um, and also there are no insurance issues as well, because if that vending machine falls on somebody, who's liable? liable. (laughs) Um, And if there's a premium uplift, if we have to pay more money to have that piece of equipment in our hub, should we pass on that cost to you? So it sounds like a really simple thing, but you know, query whether um, somebody who doesn't know about the business would think about all of those things before advising um, the business. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's really interesting. I know we've spent a lot of time on uh, legal, but I think it'd be really helpful just to get because of how varied your career has been. And I feel like we could probably do a whole another episode on just like your, your legal career, but what sort of recommendations you would have for prospective students who are considering embarking on a career in law? And and some of the challenges that they may experience as well. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. I think um, I'll probably start with the second one first. Um, so I think in terms of challenges, uh, it's competitive. It's, it's still a super competitive um, industry to, to get into. And I think the piece of advice that I gave earlier around finding what you know, your synergies are with specific law firms is still true and um, will be super helpful. Um, I think kind of uh, another challenge is um, typically if, you know, you've gone to university and you've studied law, you're used to being fairly uh, intelligent and bright in your subset or your class. You need to kind of completely, or I I would say it's it's helpful to completely um, unlearn everything that you know. Um, and be kind of like a canvas that allows you to be taught in a way that, you know, you weren't expecting. Um, And, you know, even when you think you might know, be prepared to be challenged. So strong opinions, fine, but weakly held um, as a a junior. Those are my two bits. And then in terms of kind of the first question, I think, was what would be my advice for people wanting to get into the industry? I'd say it's a really, really good thing to do. I would say kind of um, consider why you want to get into the industry. What is your fundamental motivation? And the example I'll use is if you are uh, really transfixed by and in love with the law, 
jurisprudence and you know case law and mm -hmm. everything like that maybe that you know you're better off being a barrister or a litigant yeah 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 for sure um, but if you are interested in helping things move along facilitating uh businesses doing things um but you're not necessarily interested in making key decisions to allow them to do things that's a way of looking at it um that's a way that you could help a, a legal career is 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 great in that respect mm. um if you are interested in you know risk taking and being the most creative person in the room and coming up with ideas and that sort of thing there may be other careers that are good for you outside of law yeah. so i think fundamentally the the, the anecdote that i'll take away is really think hard about why you want to do it and and sorry just i think it segues quite nicely into what you do outside of law but at least from my own personal experience, I think it would also be fair to say that it provides a great platform for other ventures because it gives yeah. you that kind of hard understanding or like hard skill base to, to fall back on. Um, so yeah, moving on to 40. Yeah, sure. Tell us about it. Like what, what does it involve and, and how did the idea come up? We'd, we'd be interested to hear. Sure. So um, I was on holiday with uh, my best friend in uh, Italy and um, we went to dinner and he uh, is religious and I'm not. Sorry, mum. Um, <laughs> so we spent about three hours discussing whether it would be immoral to take your child to church before they could decide whether or not they were religious. And um, we had different ideas on that topic. But the next day, uh, sort of brutally hungover, I kind of opened my laptop and wrote down 39 more um, questions, statements, topics like that. Um, I just finished off paying off my student loan. So I thought, okay, right, there's an extra 500 quid a month that I could put to use. So I kind of got the statements printed on a deck of cards, which were, um, which was interesting because I made that classic mistake of not understanding scale the first time. So when the first deck arrived, they were like huge. And I was kind of like, <laughs> that's not why I ordered. A3 exactly. sized cards. But we go again. <laughs> mm. um, so yeah, I got them printed and set up a Instagram account and you know, got all of my mates to talk about it and create a bit of a buzz. And um, people really enjoyed having these conversations. The reason it's called 40 is because when I was making the cards brutally hungover, I kind of got bored at 40 and closed my laptop. And it Probably was a good signal that maybe people will have an appetite up to about that. Yeah. I and mean, in fact, if you can get we, through 40 we, cards, yeah. fair play to we, you. We, 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 uh, I bought the cards, mm -hmm. you know, support and all that. And I took them on a, our sort of group friends holiday uh, in Mallorca last summer. Uh, and we had a go and I think we got through about five. Maximum. Yeah. Maximum. Love. <laughs> yeah, there was some, some, you know, deep conversations being being had. And I love the concept. I think yeah. it's wicked. I think anyone that's interested in you know, breaking boundaries, having having you know yeah. open conversations about stuff at, at dinner and, and things is, is a good one. And actually, um, before we move on, you, you said something to me before we, we kicked off um, about the general ethos behind the cards. I think it'd be really helpful to share that with the audience in terms of... Yeah, absolutely. So the, the brand is built on a foundation and that foundation is you can't really understand the world until you understand more than your own perspective of it. And that allows us to do the card game, um, um, which kind of sells on our own website and Etsy and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then it also allows us to do kind of, you know, mini documentaries. We've got one coming out later this year on modern dating. So we're gonna do kind of like a critical analysis of, you know, why people's fingers 
get RSI from Hinge. Um, <laughs> a lot of stuff um, yeah. that we could go into. And then we, we also do kind of educational resources for schools as well. So um, that, that concept and that premise allows us to, to branch off into lots of different things whilst we decide and kind of consider what should be our primary focus and what's going to return, I guess, the best business because um, that's what, you know, we, we want to do. Nice. And what about you got podcasts as well? Yeah, we've got yeah. podcasts. So anywhere where you get your podcast, it's called the 40 podcast. So have a listen. And on that, we talk about um, anything from kind of, uh, you know, state to private education to um, fear. We've got one coming out on um, anger. We've got one coming out on schadenfreude which is uh, and it going to be an interesting topic. Um, so, yeah. Uh, For those listen. li listening that don't know what that is, do you want to explain? Absolutely. So that is, um, I think it's a German word, and it loosely translates into the joy and happiness that you feel at somebody else's misfortune. Right. Which is something that we all kind of get, but, you know, no one really talks about, no one really understands why. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. It's an interesting interesting one for That'll us great, that yeah. just takes me back to being at school when your team's lost on the weekend yeah. and you come in and everyone's like yeah yeah that's what was that play there <laughs> yeah i, I nice. probably completely butchered how you say that but uh, <laughs> uh, at least you tried mm -hmm. yeah um so that's super interesting and we were having a conversation about it before we started the pod and the whole mm -hmm. concept sounds sick especially the um sort of educational technology mm -hmm. side of it um, you know, helping PSHE, PS, PSHE, PSHE, yeah, get that right, um, side of things and, you know, helping teachers be more um, pr um, effective in mm -hmm. their teaching uh, and more efficient mm -hmm. as well. So um, I think even any teachers listening, um, check out 40 because they could really save, save yeah. many hours in your week. Um, so moving on to then uh, kind of like, how did you set up? You know, what was the process? Um, how did you build to where you are today? Because, you know, balancing a challenging and uh, demanding legal career um, with a side hustle uh, and a business you're trying to develop and grow and, you know, mm -hmm. um, is not easy. Yeah. So do you want to speak to speak to that a bit? Yeah, uh, sure. Um, so for me, the reason why I think 40 has been a success um, and it's not the finished article yet is because I made a commitment to myself and to the business that I was going to do a little bit every day. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, we uh, send one email, something will be worked on every day. And um, the, co the compounding effect. Exactly. Exact, we talk about that a lot. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, I think it, there's so much value in that. And yeah. um, in terms of kind of like, tangible steps to set up uh first actually the reason why i was able to take those steps to set up is because it didn't feel like a chore if something yeah. feels like a chore it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to sustain it yeah or, so, or it will succeed exactly right? so yeah. for me it was kind of like a creative outlet and i thought well look we can create this content about anything there's so many different places that we can go with this and people were engaging with that and still are engaging with the sort of content that we put out and people were giving us feedback that we're having really excellent moments coming out of the card game mm. and you know um when we're playing it so uh we thought well what else can we do um and that's when it kind of occurred to us that you know pshe only became a mandatory subject in 2020 no teachers are trained specifically to teach that so there's already a delta there so you could yeah. get you know a year nine geography teacher teaching um you know a class about fgm um whereas 
that person's going to have to have gone and done a lot of background research, learned about it, you know, understood the kind of, uh, I guess, the emotional nuances around that subject to be able to effectively teach it. And, well, we thought we could do that because um, there is enough of an overlap between the conversations that we've been having and we could put that on, yeah, on on a platform and see whether schools were interested in, in using that tool. And, mm -hmm. yeah, it turns out that um, some of the schools that were, you know, the schools that we're speaking to are, and we're trying to grow day to day. But as I was saying to you earlier, um, it's, it's, it's kind of, for me, the most important thing now is how we get from one school to five schools, mm. not how we get from one school to 400, 500 mm. schools. Yep. And um, yeah, so it, it may be slow. It may take three, four, five years to, to get to where we want to be, but compounding, um, Com that compounding effect of doing a little bit every day is yeah all, all I'm interested in right now. So a couple of key takeaways are um, enjoy what you're doing, um, have a keen interest in it. Probably passion comes along with that. Mm -hmm. um, do a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. um, don't expect huge uh, results. Yeah. You know, in the first year, it's going to take time, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and and also dedicate. You know, the it, how much time you have to dedicate to it um, will probably be. Um, will correlate to how long it may take you mm -hmm. to kind of scale the business and, and get to a point. No, absolutely. I think you summed that up really well. Um, one thing I think it would be quite interesting to hear as well from you is um, nowadays we get a lot of people saying, oh, you can side hustle your way to financial freedom, this, that and the other. And talk's cheap, I think, when it comes to that sort of thing. And, and action often dictates how, how far things go. I, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing how it's actually been in practice. Like Nikki said, you, you're maintaining a very successful and I'm sure demanding career. How has having the side hustle been um, alongside that? The best way I would describe it is um, if you remember back to uh, when you are at university or at school in exam period, where you think every hour God sends, I could be doing something. Mm. <laughs> yeah so the 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 stress of it is not so much that oh my god i'm not where i think i should be it's that kind of finding that balance of how much time should i be putting into this i could be doing something and you know uh, thinking whenever i'm not doing something my competitors you know they're not sleeping yeah so um yeah I sound like Anton Levy of there, don't I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> or Floyd Mayweather, yeah, you know. Um, hard work, dedication. Exactly. When, when the when when you know the other person is asleep, you should be training. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that that is kind of like a, a difficult thing to to balance because I'm very much kind of work what I can be quite switched on with work, yeah. and that's actually ultimately not that productive um, long term because yeah. you know you need to know when your power hour is right when you're going to be the most productive and whether you're going to use that for your main gig or your side gig or whatever mm. it is but identifying that is super key yeah so um on the topic of uh, challenges what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced and had to overcome and and did you take any particular lessons from from that you you mentioned the a3 cards to begin with but um, it'd <laughs> yeah. be interesting in hearing about like some others that you might have overcome yes so just just to add to that as yeah. well is like just giving some of the truths about having a full-time job mm -hmm. and doing something on the side um, because like Alex said, everyone's an entrepreneur. Everyone's a CEO, you know, of, of the world and whatever, you know, so along with those like challenges, how you overcame them, you know, mm -hmm. like some of the truths about actually 
you know, coming from someone who's actually doing it, who's yeah. living it, not just talking it. But f first truth is making money is hard. <laughs> make, making money is hard. You can, the easy bit is coming up with something that could make money. That yeah. for me, like I could come up with business ideas 10, 15 a day, you know, biodegradable chewing gum. Great. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you do it? Don't know. It's the execution. Um, exactly. I think as Ga Gary V says, is like, it's the anyone can come up with the idea. Because to, the execution you know, what I'm focused on now is turning into a good businessman. And yeah. the way that I think that I do that is focus on all of the back end stuff that, you know, makes you uh, a good businessman, understanding your product, understanding your market, understanding how you how you get it in front of people and understanding what makes them buy mm. all that unglamorous stuff. I've kind of gone through a transition of um, and this is a key learning of, you know, narcissistic. Uh, great. I got this business from sort of zero to one and I didn't know I could do that before I did it. That's all gone now, I don't care about that. Like I know I can do that. Now the next bit is one to two, can I run a successful business? Okay, right, I've sold a thousand, can I sell 10,000? Mm. Um, that sort of thing. And then maybe two to three is kind of like, okay, can I go into another market and, and do that and yeah. learn um, along the way? So one, making money is is really, really hard. You need to, um, I guess, iterate to find the, you know, the, the right way to do that. And the second, I, I would, takeaway is kind of like you know don't drink your own kool-aid too much you know because when you build a business people will be like this is amazing that's great and gas you up and say you know i'm gonna get it in the hands of piers morgan and <laughs> boris johnson and you know everyone under the sun it's gonna be on loose women and you're just kind of there like initially being like yeah, mama, I made it. Yeah, like literally. <laughs> mom, never guess what happened. Um, Spending money before yeah, it's come. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. John said he's exactly. going to give it to, to Boris Johnson. You'll be so gassed when yeah. so many people are doing this. Um, but yeah. what I found, and the reason why I don't particularly love the word entrepreneur or the label entrepreneur is um, you don't have to, there's no quantifiable threshold after which you can call yourself an entrepreneur. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. You could just wake up and kind of like, decide you're like you had an idea <laughs> i'm yeah. not going to work today because i'm an entrepreneur sort of um, that's that's a thing that yeah. you can do so for me it's kind of like um that's a label for other people to yeah. to use yeah. um about me if that if i ever get to that stage but for me it's more about kind of incremental wins and reminding myself why i started doing this place yeah like, what was it that was enjoyable about it and trying to do that as much as possible yeah the other thing that i would say and probably the last thing i'll say sorry if just on that if you were to use a label mm. what what would that be trying really hard that's it that's all that's all i'm doing i'm just mm. trying um to see you know what there may be one day where you to, know to, to you know yeah. take an idea and build it into a tangible business. Correct, yeah. Right. And uh, to build it into a good business. Yeah. Um, because I know that I've got a business. Um, yeah. To build it into something that can actually rival my uh, normal salary, that's gonna, you know. It's gonna take time. That's gonna take time. And that's, yeah. that's a hard thing to do. Like coming up with the cards and stuff like that, I didn't feel like work. Coming up with the design and doing all of that, setting up a podcast, you know, getting a distribution line from China, doing all of those sorts of things that, you know, aren't necessarily glamorous, but you have to mm. do. Like we were trained to figure out how to decipher really complex problems as lawyers. Yeah. That that part is not hard. Yeah. The part that I find difficult that I need to improve at is well actually how do you take that and how do you take a buzz and turn it into a business? Yeah. 
um and there's lots the cash, of ways to do cash that ringing through and but even getting people to buy into it correct um, yeah. and and gaining customers um that's the thing and correct yeah i just just want to share you know a bit of my own experience because so i i manage and operate a, um a self-catering holiday business as mm -hmm. well um and you know that it's like it's a living breathing uh thing that mm. you know i do that in my own time um so you know along with my 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 work and from time to time you might get the odd call during the day and you mm -hmm. have to find time to pick it up or answer some emails but it's like right for, for example now um our cleaner decided she's leaving right um gave us like four days notice we've got you know like eight eight or nine bookings in may is fully booked we need a cleaner right this place is in gloucestershire um and like that's like one like one of the many challenges you have to overcome um when you have a business on the side that is operating mm. and you know you've got clients or guests customers whatever it is um you have to be able to like adapt um and fix or resolve problems mm. and find solutions for things um in a very limited space of time um so so you know it's glamorous to be called a, an entrepreneur but i think you know when you're actually in it you realize that there's a lot that goes on into doing something you know like actually running a business and if you are ever thinking of a nice weekend in gloucestershire <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you alex um it's peacock cottage you can find us at um peacock yvalleycottages.co.uk y is spelled w-y-e um you can check it out on there and we're on booking.com as well but come direct you know what i mean so, <laughs> thank you <laughs> so no this has been fascinating and like, i've, I've learned a lot um and, and find it really interesting to hear how you've juggled both the career and the business up until now and and wish you the very best going forward i'm sure hopefully 10 years from now we'll be celebrating all the success this. that you, you've yeah. had in, in that time Fingers for sure. crossed, yeah for sure but like for the benefit of our listeners we we also like to go way back to break down our our, our interviewees kind of background and their kind of educational experience so it'd be really helpful for us to to hear about how your kind of what your parents background was and yeah kind of what your schooling and your socioeconomic background was yeah so um my parents uh well were from nigeria so that was where i was born um and my dad was a media broadcaster and he used to read the news and be on the radio in nigeria um unfortunately um in 1994 he we, we were forced to kind of like leave the country um because of kind of like the social political uh, situation, so we sort were you born there? I was born there. Oh, yeah. okay. So we sought asylum um, in the UK, and um, yeah. So f from there, my my dad kind of did social work here, and my mum worked her way up from you know uh, stacking shelves in a supermarket to uh, a civil servant now. So um, I think I, I'm quite lucky in that there was never an expectation that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now you know and for some people especially you know um people who may have come from other countries that may not always be the case so I think that I was quite lucky in that there was an inherent drive in our family um to or an inherent expectation to go out and you know be really successful um and yeah so so from an early age um looking back now I think even things like my dad giving me an encyclopedia 
or like a copy of Encarta. I don't know if you. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Do you remember I remember that? that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What? For the benefit of me and the listeners, yeah. what? It's, what it, is was, Encarta? it was like it was like an encyclopedic software okay. thing that you would you know load up. You'd on get one of these computer. like floppy disk things, yeah, and you'd like bang yeah. it into your computer and Fair. yeah and it'd be like name the capital city of every country in the okay. world so you had yeah. these kind of like super smart useless information children <laughs> <laughs> they're clocked <laughs> in the yeah. Encarta. it would have been incredible at pub quizzes but weren't allowed in pubs yeah, <laughs> yeah. You could smash a pub quiz exactly yeah. still but, gets the brain going but gets the brain yeah, going yeah, yeah. so there's always been that fascination with kind of like things that i i don't know and stuff like that and then um school and education the um journey was i went to a local state school in richmond called christ school and um Christ school was great in so many respects. Um, it was great for, I guess, uh, the friendships that were built and it was great for learning about lots of different backgrounds and lots of different things that, you know, uh, issues that people were dealing with. Even from like a, a really young age, you developed a sense of empathy that you can't get outside of those sorts of uh, backgrounds. Um, what it wasn't that great at, um, was kind of like the academic side. So, um, and what I mean by that is, uh, I think classes were probably overcrowded a little bit and it was difficult for teachers to teach and specifically focus on individuals when you didn't really understand something. So a lot of um, my learning uh, was done at home um, and kind of like teaching myself, trying to learn things. So it ended up doing okay at GCSE and then got a bursary to um, a school called King Edwards in, in Whitley, which was um, a boarding school where I did the IB, International Baccalaureate. Um, and then from there, yeah, went to Exeter University. I, I imagine having the kind of two educational experiences growing up, that's probably quite helpful for your ed tech now in terms of putting yourself in the mind of some of the teachers that might be using your materials yeah absolutely i think kind of like the contrast and what um what, what struck me the most about going to private school at 16 was um when you grow up in london everything is a little bit about kind of what's cool and what's not yeah you know you you, you guys would have experienced this so people were kind of more concerned with your you know who had the the Shoes. Air Force, the Air Force Ones, That's or it. the MX ninety five. And I was, I was there in full force with full. Mm. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I was a, a vociferous participant. <laughs> all of that. Um, but when I went to boarding school, what did the biggest difference for me was if people were in a history class, it was because they were interested in history. Mm. So it's kind of like, oh, like I want to learn um, about this. And being in that environment, it was kind of like a, you didn't need to, I guess, pretend that it's it's. It's not cool to to learn about something that you want to learn about. So, um, yeah, in that environment, I just kind of took learning a bit more seriously. And when you think about it, like a private boarding school in Surrey, like all things considered, is essentially a spa resort. <laughs> so you have uh, like 200 yeah. students your age. You have like an Olympic sized pool, a gym, like a climbing wall, tennis courts and stuff like that. Different worlds. If someone was like take everyone in London and go and work there for a week, people will bite your hand off. So yeah. like, yeah. In fact, Akala talks about that. About um, in fact, there was a talk I went to listen to him a few years back, and he said that he thinks that that would be a great kind of solution uh, to a lot of some of the troubles you see. Like actually, if you got boarding schools which weren't solely reserved for people that could afford them, mm. that could be a good way of helping social inequality yeah for sure yeah you do learn about a lot of uh, another great example is um 
when people were turning like 17 at school or 16 or whatever, and you know, if you're from where we grew up, yeah. you'd have a birthday at like a bowling alley or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. These people were doing kind of like three course black tie dinners. Mm. And I was there kind of like, I'm just expecting Daniel Craig to rock up. <laughs> <laughs> Mental. Um, different worlds, yeah, aren't they? Completely different. Different worlds. Um, so um, yeah, so your, your, um, your background sounds really interesting and, and I'm sure your parents have like a super interesting background. Um, I'm sure we could, yeah, have, you know, have a much more lengthy discussion about that as well. Um, but just in the interest of time, um, can you give us a couple, like an idea of who your key influences were growing up? I'd imagine your parents are, are some of those. Um, and looking at sort of more present day, who you would say your key influences are and in terms of your professional and personal development. Just yeah. to give our like listeners an idea of um, if I want to get inspired or, you know, um, just improve myself, mm. where can I look or who can I look to? Yeah, so um, interestingly, kind of, I wouldn't say I had um, a single key influence before sort of like the age of 16. Okay. Um, I would say that where I got my motivation from in terms of I, I want to do well is probably a fear of failure. I remember the day before um, my GCSE started, my dad walked into the kitchen where I was revising and he said in his kind of like brash African accent, you better study because I don't know anybody. <laughs> and Love left. That. So yeah. he was basically kind of like crushed any chance of nepotism there. So yeah, it's basically yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. on your own. Yeah. So for me, I was kind of like- That's a big lesson. Like, Bro, he said so much with so few words. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I was basically- No time to mince like, his words as well, because he was busy working <laughs> and providing, right? Along with your mum. I was kind of like, okay, cool. Well, that's, you know, I'm just going to trust I was in the cat. But then when I got to um, boarding school, there were quite a few key influences from for me. Because um, there were people who kind of like looked like me, but were so different to me. <laughs> Right. Thing. And that was fascinating for me. So it's a, a guy who I'm uh, really good friends with now, and he actually works with um, with me on 40s called Leroy Mark. Um, yeah, huge influence um, to me growing up. He was uh, the captain of our football team when I was, um, you know, in, in lower sixth. Um, and yeah, he just kind of like could always chat to him about, you know, we came from similar backgrounds, how he was dealing with stuff. And it was a bit like having like um, big brother. a big brother, like a, a, a influence. And there were loads of uh, hymns in the years above. Mm. So there was a, a guy called uh, Sung, um, a guy who was uh, from Korea. He was in my house. Um, and then the mates that I had around me there, they were kind of like key influences and, and key drivers. And having like-minded people around you that you can bounce ideas off uh, mm -hmm. makes it made, made a massive difference to me and still does to this day um, do you know what's interesting um uh, and obviously we've we've just had like a really um brief cross-section mm -hmm. of of your circle and your, your friendships but like being of you know like a, an immigrant family myself and being one myself um i find like you the people that resonate most with you are the ones that are most like you. Mm. Shared experiences mm. um, come from different backgrounds. Um, most of my, like, sort of up, you know, growing up through school uh, and university and post university, you know, my friends have been from like really diverse backgrounds. Mm. Um, so, so it's, it's like it's something I, that really resonates with yeah, me as well. Yeah, it's like super incidental, but it's turned out to be like very important 
um, because there wasn't, you know, I guess parental level role models that had done what I had done. Mm. And yeah. my dad really didn't know nobody. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, hats off, hats off to you, man. And I'm sure he'd be very proud to see you broadcasting. <laughs> yeah, 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 badly. He'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> he'd, have, he'd have tips. <laughs> so, sure. so just to wrap up, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, it's been yeah, a pleasure likewise. getting to know you, um, Kenzo, and I'm sure the, it won't be the last interaction. That's no, sure. no yeah. doubt, no doubt. But yeah, just, just to wrap up, um, we like to end by asking our, our, our interviewees to, to give the best piece of advice they've ever received. Um, or the biggest life lesson you've learned to date? That yeah, that's um, I'm gonna have to uh, think about it for a second. Um, best piece of advice I've received um, is probably that you you're not as unique as you think you are, and why that's been such a big piece of advice for me is that whatever issue you're facing um whatever hardship struggle or anything there's you know there's probably somebody or people who have gone through it already that you can kind of like learn from their experience from and for me you know that's helpful and that has proven helpful because um it kind of stabilizes you know when you're a little bit flustered and when you're a little bit kind of like oh fuck something's gone wrong you can always lean on that as well out of 7 billion people soon to be like 9 billion i'm sure i'm not that unique and somebody else has gone through this and if i spend time finding them and finding what they learned from that experience i'll probably be all right yeah big um and would you recommend a podcast or a book for people that are looking to develop professionally or personally um so there's a book that you can get on amazon it's called the culture map um okay. and that really puts into perspective kind of uh different cultural nuances in different countries especially if you're trying to start a business or um you know or you're trying to work internationally there's that famous story about mcdonald's trying to sell um beef in uh india and uh, not <laughs> didn't go down very well not understanding why big macs weren't selling yeah um so yeah just things like that i think will stand you in good stead for if, if you're interested in uh, either working for or starting a, a business that wants to scale internationally. Amazing, amazing. Kenzo, thank you so much. Alex, have you got any closing words? No, I think um, we've reflected on a lot of the, the takeaways as we've gone through this, but um, I personally have really enjoyed this conversation. And um, yeah, we, I'd, I'd even say it'd be great to probably get you back on at some point in the future to hear how Absolutely. the business is going and uh, yeah, how you're, you're balancing it with, with your legal career. But it's, it's been a pleasure. Would yeah, pleasure, guys. And um, <clears throat> do you want to plug your your socials and things before we close? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you head to at follow40 on Instagram, Twitter, um, and uh, yeah. And it's F-O-R-T-Y. That's correct, yeah, yeah. at follow40. Um, and yeah, you, you'll find us there. We've also got a page on um, Etsy. Um, we've got a uh, private website and you will soon be able to get us back on Amazon Prime very shortly nice. fantastic Amazing. thanks kenzo so um this brings us to the end of our episode um thank you for listening everyone um as always please give us a like um a follow a subscribe leave us a comment we'd really appreciate it you can find us at um on youtube spotify you know google apple uh, you search for um, hard work beats talent podcast um please you know follow us um, for future episodes um, thanks very much and we're out thanks,